0: This morning I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 9. Today the title of today's message is Frames Matter. Frames Matter. John chapter 9. You know, we're living in a, a day in where we are constantly seeing things that we like, "Oh, is this really happening right now?" Did they just say that? Are they actually doing this? Right? Um, and we're seeing a lot of dysfunction. Like when I got the the message from Pastor Martin uh, that his orphanage had been ransacked and all the kids are scattered, I I was like blown away because I was imagining if my neighborhood was overran by gang members and was chasing out everybody in my neighborhood and then robbing everything in the homes because that's what's happening there. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Why isn't somebody doing something about this, right? And so when you see stuff, we were down having dinner down in in uh, Seattle, walking on the on on the street, going to the Fifth Avenue Theater, and we see people using all over the sidewalk, it's just right out in broad daylight. It's like, gosh. And then you hear about different things, like I hear about the park they were going to build over the I five. In downtown Seattle, big huge park. It's like, why? So we can put more tents up? That's, that was my thought that came to my mind. Is that what we're gonna do? We can't take care of the parks we got and we're gonna build more? Doesn't make sense.
1: And so I start getting frustrated and then I get angry and I'm like, oh yeah. <sighs> you
0: know what I mean? I, you, everybody's got their thing, right? Everybody's got their thing that they can't stand, okay? And for a good reason. There's, there, these, there are some things that we shouldn't like, and we should be against them, and we should fight against them. We should stop them. We should do our part to help make it better. But when we look at them, we go through a process. And, uh, and sometimes it's, it's a process of emotions, juggling emotions like resentment or anger or fear. Can you imagine hearing gunshots all night long?
1: And you really don't have any money to go anywhere. Pastor Martin just, he has a cell
0: phone. He was able to contact me and say, Pastor Steve, I don't know what we're going to do. My family has to leave and everybody's scattered. I don't know where to go. Ah, that's wild. But when we look at these things, we look at these things and and we look at them through the framework in which we are used to looking at things. And up here, we have these different frames. How's that, Don? You digging that? Okay. How's that? Are you okay? All right. Is that, is that in your face? You okay? Okay, good. Okay, we got that one. We okay? All right, good. So if you notice, these two mirrors...
1: Are pretty much the same size, the glass anyway, but what distinguishes the two of them is the frame, two
0: different frames, big and chunky, thin and minimalistic, simple, clean, there's a place for this frame, there's a place for this frame, and sometimes we get the wrong frame. Richard, you're an artist. You know that a frame can make a painting, right? And so you could have an okay painting with an amazing frame or you could have an amazing painting and a so-so frame and you get a different result. You know what I'm saying? So a good frame can make a bad painting a little better. And a bad frame can make a good painting look not so good. And so the, our, the frames matter. So if we take a look at how we look at the things that are in the Bible, biblical concepts, scriptures, uh, values, commandments, instructions, uh, different theological constructs, they are all done with a framework. And that framework is the framework either you are raised with or you've developed as you've grown up. And so depending on what your environment is and what you feed on, it starts to shape your frame. Okay, And uh, unfortunately, some of our framework doesn't serve us very well because it interferes with us tapping in to the, the realness of God and to the power of God or the goodness of God. We just sang that song, the goodness of God. And it's like sometimes we can't see the goodness of God because we are framing the world or we're framing the situation or framing the marriage or framing the kids or framing the life or the culture or framing it in a way that isn't helpful. Now we're gonna read from John chapter nine here. And in this story, we're going to see that there's two kinds of blindness. The first one's physical. The second one is mental, maybe spiritual, okay? And you're going to see how these people framed the situation that they were in. And you're going to be able to insert yourself into the story once we communicate it. And you're going to be able to see how you yourself frame things, okay? So, in John chapter 9, we're going to start with, uh, let's start with verse, start with verse 1. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, Rabbi means teacher, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Now notice, they frame it in such a way that it's an either or question. So Jesus has to decide which one sinned. But Jesus didn't get into that trap. He recognized, oh, they're framing this man that's blind. They're framing him through an eye that somebody has done something wrong. And so that's how they're looking at it. So they see this dysfunction or this, this thing that handicaps this guy. And they say, somebody is to blame. Okay, that's their frame. Somebody is to blame. Now that's a kind of a common thing that happened back then because if you got too much sun and not enough rain, your crops dried up, it was God upset with you. If you got too much rain... God's upset with you. Destroy your crops. Okay? But if it's just perfect rain and perfect sun, the blessing of God is on you. Are you following me? Some of you do this. When good things happen, it's the blessing of God. When bad things happen, you think, well, where, where did I go wrong? You follow me? What have I done? I I I I am doing all the things. I'm going to church. I give my offerings. i you know, I love my kids and I obey the laws and I'm doing all the things. Why is this happening? So it's kind of a either or mentality. So this framework, Jesus sees these guys, this this framework isn't working. They're all looking at the same blind guy, but Jesus had a different frame. He framed it differently. Verse three. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, he made mud with the saliva and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent, keyword, scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing, so now he could see, because he washed his eyes from the spit or the, the mud that was in his, in his eyes, and now he could see. So when we look at this, Jesus says, we must carry out the tasks that are at hand. What was he saying? He's saying, no, there's a third option here. The way that you're looking at it is somebody is to blame for this blindness.
1: It's funny, they didn't say, which man's sin? The son or the father?
0: Son or the parents? He didn't say, Did God sin? Did God make him blind? Did God do this to him? That's the third framework that a lot of us use. When something bad happens, we'll either blame God or we'll blame the devil. And who knows? Sometimes you may be right. But oftentimes that framework really limits how we see things. Jesus is teaching them a new way of seeing things because these guys were so blind. All they could see is that when they saw a a dysfunction or a problem, the only thing they could see is pointing the finger at who caused it. But they had not considered what could we do for this guy. And so so Jesus sees that there's two kinds of blindness. There's the blind man and are the ones that are looking at the blind man. The blind man couldn't see that the reason that they are there, I mean, the the disciples couldn't, couldn't see that the reason that they were there is that there's a task at hand. And so when it comes to us framing how we look at the world, the scripture tells us that you that are spiritual judge all things, not judge all people, but judge all things, okay? We don't judge people. Jesus was very clear about that. Don't judge lest you be judged. But Paul tells us that if you're a spiritual person, you should look at things and you should make a judgment in the sense of, was this right or was this wrong? But it doesn't say blame somebody or point the finger at somebody. It says, attend to the task at hand. So in other words, the first thought that could come to our mind is that when we see something that isn't right in the world today, And it really starts to get our emotions. Resist the temptation to try to find the fault as the first line of action. Push that off to the side. Just ask yourself, am I seeing this or am I experiencing this for such a time as this? Is there a task at hand here? In the 1900s, the early 1900s, there was this book called In His Steps. And it talked about asking yourself this question, what would Jesus do on everything that you see, every problem that you see, every person that you see that's dysfunctional or having a problem or or being challenged. And the first question you should ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Almost 100 years later, there was a movement in youth groups, in Christian youth groups called WWJD, and everybody was wearing the bracelets. What would Jesus do, bracelets? And it was awesome because... It was a reminder that instead of pointing the finger or finding out who's to blame, we start thinking is, what's my role? What would Jesus do? And I'm gonna do the same thing. What would Jesus do if he came across a homeless guy? Or what would Jesus do if he came across somebody that is struggling with their gender? What would Jesus do if he came across somebody that was an alcoholic or somebody that was struggling in their marriage or struggling with their kids? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do if there was a person that had some church hurt and they were struggling and they had a really difficult time coming to church? What would Jesus do? What would he say? And so we ask ourselves these things and all of a sudden it causes you to have a different frame, a different view of what you're looking at. And having a different view is huge. Shifting the paradigm. I got this picture I wanna show you. If we could look at this picture, Um, as you look at it, I want you to ask yourself, what do you see up there? Some of you have seen this, I can tell, okay? So how many, can anybody see anything? Anybody see anything? What do you see? You see a young lady, okay? Does anybody else see a young lady? Okay. Does anybody else see something else? What do you see? You see an old lady how many see an old lady? Okay, a bunch of you. Okay. How many see both? Okay. Yeah, see, there's a young lady and an old lady there. It's the same picture, depending on how you look at it. If this is the first time you've ever seen it, the first one you see, if you see the young lady first, it blinds you from seeing the old lady because you stay focused on the young lady, right? If you see the old lady first, you can't see the young lady. Some of you right now are really confused because you can't see either one of them. (laughs) And and let me just say, let me just say, there's a lot of people that can't see either one because it's too abstract. And so the way they frame it, it makes it hard to see it. You got random people like myself, you see all kinds of things. I see all kinds of things that I ain't gonna tell you about, okay, because you'll think I'm crazy. I see lots of stuff up there. So let's look at let's look at them all. It's the same picture. Can you see the old lady now? Look on the far right. You see the old lady and the young lady? Notice that
1: the mouth of the old lady is the necklace of the young lady. See it? Come on now. You see it?
0: Okay. Let me give you another hint. Okay. On the one in the center, the white part that comes down, it almost looks like florida at the bottom. That's the chin of the old lady. Okay. You see that? Then you go up. And you see the nostrils, that line that's up there is the nostril. You got it? You guys, we have to hurry up and finish this. Because I'm getting hungry. And I love church, but I don't want to be here all day. Okay, so find it. All right, we can look at it later. But the interesting thing is, once you see one, you can't see the other very well, okay? But once you've seen both, you, you have an understanding how it works, right? And so, I, I want you to, this is what I would want for all of you. I want you, when you're reading scripture, not to read it for face value. I want you to look a little deeper, I want you to look at this book as something that unfolds. I think too many people read it to get the right answer or to have the the perfect deduction of the doctrine. This is meant to open you up, not to fence you in. It's meant to help you discover the goodness of God and the love of God, and how much he loves for you. And this is, so when we when we read the scriptures and we look at humanity, what we want to do is we want to frame it through God's frame, which opens things up to reconsider some things. Now, with these guys, what was happening was, is these disciples were so fixated on push, focusing blame that they couldn't see that they had a task at hand. They couldn't see that they were on a mission. Remember, Jesus was on a mission. He went about doing good and healing all. He knew what he was there to do. He says that I had come to preach liberty to the captives, to bring sight to the blind. He wasn't talking about just blind eyes. He was talking about blind spiritual People. And so he wanted to open their eyes to see. If you read the book of Revelation, I've been reading the book of Revelation lately, and it says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Okay? So when we read scripture, we need to hear what the Spirit is telling us. We need to, when we see humanity, we need to start to frame it through what the Spirit of God is telling us to do. And the Spirit of God will always move you away from pointing the finger to being accountable to your actions, okay? And
1: so Jesus said, neither sin, but he is in this situation and we are going to do the will of God. That's why
0: he can't see. A lot of times people think, well, God made him blind so that we would do something. No, God made a world so that the things that happen, the organicness of of the world, in order for the world to be a world, there has to be life, there has to be death, there has to be light, there has to be darkness. It just happens. And when a tree falls in the woods from the wind or from just maybe you know some kind of erosion or something along those lines. When the tree lands in the woods, people don't say, whose fault was it? Whose fault was it? No, they don't waste their time on that. They know it's all part of the ecosystem. The idea is make sure that you see the value that it's gonna to add to the soil. Everybody's contributing. We're all gonna die someday, but we all get a chance to leave some contribution behind. And when you pass away, you're either gonna leave something behind or you're not. And so as we frame the world through, there is a task that we are to do. Instead of blaming the world for its dysfunction, we're busy thinking about, what's my task? You might only got a week left to live, but what's the task that you have? What do you need to say to somebody to give them life, to give them affirmation, to give them a blessing. The last thing that my dad said to me when he was, he was passing away, he looked up to me and my, my three brothers and said, I, I did my best. I said, you did, dad, and your seed is gonna live on
1: and we're gonna honor you. And he took his last breath. It's the last thing he did but we were able to give him the benediction. your seed will live on. What's your task at hand? How are you framing the world right now?
0: How are you framing that divorce that you have? How are you framing that addicted son or daughter? How are you framing the loss that you've just had? How are you framing the bankruptcy? How are you framing the mental illness in the family? How are you framing the situation that you're in. The way you frame it will determine whether or not life continues or if the tree falls for no reason at all. And so I want you to think about this. When my mom took her life, it was a tragic day. It was sad. And so much of what led up to that was tragic in itself. But I remember... I had just become a Christian. I was a follower of Jesus. And I remember feeling lost, this just lost feeling like I don't know what to do. I don't know how to feel right now. And so the first
1: thought was, whose fault was it? Was it my brother's fault? Was it my dad's fault? Was it my fault? Was it my mom's fault? Whose fault was it? Who sinned? This man or his parents? I was trying to frame it. Oh, it was God's fault. No, that frame ain't gonna work.
0: I don't, I don't know enough about God to be able to accuse God of something like that. That was my thinking. But you know what? The interesting thing is, I remember thinking this, I, as clear as today is, I remember thinking, I want to do something with my life that helps people who feel the way that I feel right now not feel the way that I feel right now. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I want to do something that helps people that are in situations similar to mine. That's what I want to do with my life. So I reframed it. Instead of blaming my mom, instead of blaming the hospital, instead of blaming the meds, which all could be an accurate blame. It could have been, but it's not helpful. And it keeps me from finding the task at hand, okay? Jesus kind of threw the whole thing around and kind of turned it upside down by saying, neither sin, but we've got a job to do. James chapter 1. Starting with verse two. And James is kind of doing the same thing. He's reframing some things. He's talking to people that are being persecuted. He's talking to people that have family members that have lost their lives because of their faith. And James comes and, and he says this to the believers. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, in other words, people that are a part of the body of Christ, people who are faithful to God and faithful to Jesus, faithful to the body of Christ, when troubles of any kind, any kind, come your way. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. What? (laughs) Joy? Oh yeah, I can really feel it. Thanks for the good news. Thanks for the encouragement.
1: My wife's gone and you tell me to count it joy. Doesn't sound right, does it? I'm struggling with addiction and you're telling me to count it as joy? I've been
0: kicked out. You want me to count it as joy? I've been persecuted. I've been victimized. You want me to count it as joy? And this is what James is doing. He's reframing problems. He's reframing tragedies and pains and hurts. And he's saying Any trouble of any kind comes your way. Consider an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Guys, it's not all the blessings that make you perfect and complete. It's the crap that you've gone through. Seriously, those hard times that you've wrestled with, you you know the story of the butterfly in the cocoon starts out as this little wormy guy, spins this little cocoon and he's in there and he's ready to get out and fly. So he's got to bang his way out of that cocoon. And studies have shown that if you try to help the butterfly get out of the cocoon, like snipping the cocoon so it can easily get out, that their, their wings won't be strong enough to fly. Because it's the wrestling with the cocoon that causes them to get strength. And there's a, a 14th century Christian mystic uh, that wrote some amazing sermons and, uh, and people have been reading them for many, many years. In one of his sermons, he talks about how when you have gone into the deepest of darkest of holes, when you've experienced great suffering and great loss, When you've experienced the dark night of the soul, the depression, the loneliness, the hurt, the abandonment, the betrayal, all those things, all of those things do something on the inside of you. And if you frame it through the eyes of what we see right here, count it all joy, because you know that you're going, there's something you're gonna get out of this. There's a strength and an endurance you're gonna get out of this thing. You know, because you've been through a few things and you know that you always reach back to your darkest moments to help people. And you bring out a chapter of your past, your painful past, and you go, you know what? I've been in your seat. I've walked through what you're walking through. I've walked through something similar as you. And I know how lonely it feels, but I do want to tell you this. You're going to get through this. You're not going to get through it today, but you will get through it. How do I know that? Because the strength that I have as a man or woman of God comes from the fact that I've endured some really tough stuff and God has walked me through every single one of them. You know, I think sometimes I think that people think that God is going to fix everything the way you want him to and when he doesn't, they, you think that he wasn't at work but he was, he's at work. You're just getting stronger and just because the cocoon is a little tight, you just need to fight a little harder. You need to wrestle a little bit longer. You need to stay in the game long enough and grit it out long enough so that you can have that patient endurance rise up on the inside of you and you'll develop a maturity that is something strong and stuff isn't gonna rattle you anymore. Frame it, reframe it, count it all joy. I remember the first time I had this experience is when uh, a friend of ours that I knew from the community was killed in a car accident down in Las Vegas. Two gang members shooting at each other. One of them got hit and his car drove out of control and hit a taxi cab that my friend was in and she immediately um, burned up. It was horrible. The whole community was rattled. And I was asked to do the funeral and I, I just, I didn't even know what to say because I knew everybody was thinking the same thing. Why? Why did this happen?
1: Did she sin or did her parents sin? That kind of question. Where was God? Where was her friend when this happened? Right? All the normal questions.
0: Why was she there? Why, why, why? None of the why questions could get answered. Nobody could answer any of them. And so everybody's just depressed and sad and it's a great loss, a loss for the community, a great loss for the family. It was horrible. It was horrific. And plus the, the images, imagery was just disastrous. And so as I was preparing for it, I was like, oh, I don't even know how to address this. I don't even know what to say. And, and I go, God, what, why? Why did this happen? I got to have an answer for all these whys. He says, it's the wrong
1: question. Ask the question what? Those of you that have been at a few of my funerals, <laughs> you know that I
0: bring that up every time, especially when it's an untimely death or when they've lived a life nice long line. I don't even need to bring it up. You know why, because they were old.
1: But when it's a baby, when it's a young father, when it's a new grandpa and we weren't ready for him to go, The normal
0: one question is why, why? But see, why blinds you from seeing the framework that God wants you to see? It's a legitimate question. It's just that you're probably not gonna get it answered and it causes you to blame, point the finger and question, but it doesn't really help you. It actually takes you on a downward spiral.
1: But when you ask the question, what? What did I love most about him? What did she bring to my life? What does she have that I would like to possess as
0: far as character and virtue? When you start asking a what question, guess what it does? It takes your mind off of pointing the finger and questioning God, questioning loved ones, questioning all kinds of things and causes you to be accountable to the task at hand. What's the task at hand? What's the role? What is the role? Maybe the role is to do something nice for the family. Maybe the role is to do something great for the community. Maybe the role is, is to stop doing the stupid stuff that you're doing because you know that life is short. But what is it that we are supposed to take out of this experience that honors this person that has passed and makes us stronger? We've got to reframe it. We're living in a day where we have to reframe how we look at the world. And instead of just pointing the finger, we gotta ask ourselves, what? What is our role? What are we gonna do for the family? What are we gonna do for the community? What are we gonna do for the homeless? Whatever it is that God is putting on your heart that you feel this why question keep coming up. If you see a pattern of why, 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 then you know that God's trying to show you that there's a task at hand. And get your eyes off the why and put it onto the what. So we did the funeral and I shared that concept. And people come up afterwards with all kinds of things they were going to do different. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. A group of them came came up to me and says, We've decided we're going to do a scholarship. We're putting our money together, we're going to do a scholarship. And every year we're going to give a scholarship for college in her name. That's what we're going to do. And so all of a sudden, instead of just walking away with this great uh, loss. Now, all of a sudden, this lady is responsible for a, a, an awesome scholarship for underprivileged kids going to college. All because people reframed their situation. What kind of reframing do you need to do? What needs to be reframed in your life? Maybe you, every time you think of your ex, you just cannot be at peace because you're so hurt, you're so broken. But maybe you need to reframe it and say, you know, I have an opportunity to start fresh and I can take all the things that I learned, all the mistakes I made, all the things that I overlooked, I now have a new set of tools and I can go build what I need to build. Reframe it. Some of you need to reframe your losses. Some of you need to reframe the loss of your job and start saying, you know what? There's a better job out there that's more fulfilling for me. What I don't know what you're dealing with right now. I just know that you're dealing with something. Maybe the way that you frame things is keeping you from your spouse. Maybe the way that you frame things keeps you from God. Maybe the way that you reframe things keeps you from doing things like small groups and being a part of a church and locking in. But I encourage you, instead of pointing the finger, make the decision that you're gonna plug into the task at hand. Ask yourself, is this dysfunction I'm seeing in the world, is this particular issue for me? Is this my task at hand? Is this what I'm supposed to put my hand to? Am I supposed to focus in on kids, on teenagers, on people that are struggling with their health, for the elderly, for the lost, for people that are starting businesses? What is the task at hand for you that you're supposed to focus on? Let's reframe, and let's have a Christ-like frame. Would you stand to your feet? All around this room, if you're here today, and you know that there's an area of your life that needs to get reframed, I wanna pray for you. Our prayer partners are gonna come out here. I don't really know how this is gonna work, because I have a feeling there's a lot of you that need this prayer. So we're gonna sing this song as we, before we go. I know a lot of you are, are looking forward to getting the hot dog because we're selling hot dogs after church. To, but hey, it's, it's a task at hand. We're gonna help the homeless by feeding them and all the money that's raised for the hot dogs is gonna to go to that. But right now, we got something more than hot dogs that we gotta deal with. You got some reframing to do. If you got an area that needs to be reframed, I just would like you to just gather up here in the front right now. Just just come out from your seats right here. Just come on down. Just come on down right now. If you got an area that needs to be reframed, you just know it. You just know it. Just gather, just fill the whole front. Okay? If that's you, maybe you need to reframe the marriage. You need to reframe the business. You need to reframe your attitude. You need to reframe how you look at the Bible. You need to reframe how you look at God. You need to reframe how you look at your friends or your health or your future. Some of you are afraid of the future. I encourage you, just come. Come. Come join us at the front here. We want to pray for you, okay? Maybe you have somebody with you that you know they need to be down here. Bring them on down right now. Just say, hey, we got to go down there. We got to get reframed, okay? Maybe the tension is so tight between you and your kids, you know you got to reframe your parenting. Some of us need to reframe our morality, reframe how we think about people that are different than us. church would you, stretch your hands out towards these folks. Prayer partners, just lay your hands on them. If you have a friend that's up here, come lay hands on them and pray for them. Thank you, Lord. Father, all around this room, we pray, God, for the reframing of our lives, for the reframing of the Word of God how we see you, Lord, and how we see you working. We pray that you would show us how to frame it all through your eyes, through what would Jesus do. We pray, we ask ourselves that you would show us how to reframe the issues that are giving us anxiety, the issues that are giving us unrest, the issues that are causing us to point the finger and judge instead of focusing in on the task at hand. God, I pray that you would guide our steps. Oh, Lord. Some of you have friends or family members that have just totally destroyed themselves and you can't even love them because they've hurt themselves so badly. But God wants you to reframe it so you have a spirit of compassion, a spirit of empathy, a spirit of love and forgiveness. Lord, help us reframe offenses. Help us reframe the hurts that we have in our lives, Lord God, to rethink it, to repackage it so that we don't have to hold things against people, even the people that have gone and left us from this planet. Lord God, I pray that you would show us how to release them and set them free. Release them. Release forgiveness, release forgiveness, release forgiveness, release forgiveness. Reframe, reframe, reframe. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we now focus on your goodness, the goodness of God. We view you through the eyes of goodness, God. We know that you came to do good and to heal all. God, we pray that you would rise up big within us right now in a new way, in a fresh way, in Jesus' name.